Hello and welcome to season one of the Diversity Writers Podcast. My name is Alejandro Guerrero, a first-generation Mexican-American. I'm a co-founder and general partner at early-stage venture capital firm Act One Ventures. Act One Ventures is a Los Angeles-based seed and pre-seed fund focused exclusively on investing in business software companies. I'm also the creator of the Diversity Writer for Cap Table Representation, a call-to-action co-investing initiative designed to enhance access, equity, and wealth creation opportunities for diverse individuals in the world of startup investing. This first season was designed to help explain what the Diversity Writer is, how it works, why it can work for you, and why we're going to continue to focus on this message. The Diversity Writers Podcast is sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank. What's next? What if? Now what? Silicon Valley Bank understands that these questions can keep founders up at night. For over 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped high-growth companies through scalable financial solutions, plus insights and expertise that many other banks just can't. Which could be why 50% of U.S.-based, venture-backed tech and life science companies bank with SVB. Learn more at svb.com slash next. Silicon Valley Bank, built for what's next. Our guest today on the Diversity Writers Podcast is Dan Levitan, the co-founder and managing partner of Maveron, a consumer-focused venture capital firm based in Seattle with over $1 billion in assets under management. I'm super excited to have this conversation today, so let's just get right into it. Dan, you started Maveron in 1998 with Howard Schultz. What was the genesis that said, hey, it's time to build a venture fund, and, and what was that first fund size, and can you just kind of walk us to where you are now? Sure. It's been a long and winding 23-year journey. I had met Howard in 1991 as he was trying to think through his thought process of taking Starbucks public. And then in 92, I met the rest of the team, particularly Oren Smith, who was the chief financial officer of Starbucks at the time, and um, was lucky enough to be one of the two firms involved in the Starbucks IPO. It was something like a $45 million IPO, uh, which in 1992 was kind of normal sized. And the post money of Starbucks back then was $240 million, as opposed to today where it's over $100 billion, uh, which is an incredible journey from obscurity to ubiquity. Basically, over time, uh, as I got to know Howard, uh, he started saying there's really no VC firm that was focused on high growth consumer businesses. Uh, there were tech firms back then, and we were lucky enough to make the hypothesis, which turned out to be true, that technology was going to integrate into the lives of so many consumers in so many ways that we didn't fully understand back then. So that was the circumstances. He was still at Starbucks. I started Mavron with him on June 11th of 1998. And in the better lucky than smart category, our first investment turned out to be a company that at the time very few had heard of called eBay. And uh, that was like both a blessing and a curse to have eBay as your first investment. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's that's a that's a small name. <laughs> so, how big is the total assets under management now uh, at your firm, and what's what fund size fund number are you investing out of currently? 
Well, our first fund was a $50 million fund with a $75 million hard cap. And um, we've subsequently raised six more funds. So we're currently investing out of fund seven. And in aggregate, we've raised about $1.3 billion. I will say that I think the focus on fund size, which is a common theme for people, is certainly misaligned with success. You know, I think that uh, actually your fund size tied with your strategy is what's most important. And I think Kaufman and others have kind of proven that the larger the fund, the harder it is to create appropriate risk-adjusted fund returns. Yeah, uh, definitely fund size to strategy and, you know, also just the team's own conviction and honesty about where they can effectively deploy those dollars in great companies. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. So not to, we could definitely go down that path, but I feel like that would be an entire conversation in and of itself. What I wanted to focus on today here was really the work that we did together and your firm's uh, participation in the diversity writer. Let's be clear. You did the work, Alejandro. Uh, We just got on your bus. So thank you for that opportunity. Well, you know, it wouldn't have gotten to the place where it got to, and it wouldn't be having the success that it's having without folks like yourself uh, who took my call. Let's start from, from those beginnings, right? So, our relationship um, really began through All Raise. So uh, another quick little shout out to All Raise where, you know, we were paired up for mentoring. Um, and so that relationship, even though I'm, I'm a B2B investor and you're a consumer, the thoughtfulness and the kindness that you presented just in terms of, again, right, the journey that you had, how you think about strategy, how you think about longevity in the business really stood out to me in, you know, because this is a business where it takes a long time to figure out if you're any good at this. And so that patience um, and that ability to overcome challenges, you know, I I know that you had, you know, some of those challenges that you went through in, in kind of the middle part of where your journey is with the fund. So I always appreciated, you know, your openness to share those stories and the learnings. I think one of the things that's happened as the businesses get bigger and as fund sizes have gotten bigger um, is that it's lost a little of the mentorship slash apprenticeship nature of this business. And some people would say it's lost a lot of it. And I think that's an unfortunate consequence of some combination of bigger and bigger fund sizes, millennials and Gen Z moving around a lot, um, just the dynamics of of loyalty, longevity, uh, commitments to firms, commitments to LPs seems to have changed a little. Uh, so it was exciting to, through All Race, meet you. And uh, it's been fun. I think what many mentors learn is that they get as much uh, by mentoring as the mentee gets. And certainly I've enjoyed our interactions a lot and felt like this is an example of value that I and Mavron have derived through you and me getting to know each other. Thank you. I mean, but because all of these individuals who've been able to share their experiences from how they've learned it has impacted my life and guided me to where I'm at here. And it was part of also, you know, just everything that kind of came together last summer when, you know, George Floyd was murdered, this idea came to my mind and I started to figure out, you know, how do we get this done? 
And so I really appreciated, you know, that conversation that we had because you, you like a couple others had gave me an indication that there was something here. What was the first reaction that you had upon hearing it? I felt like it was both a good idea and, a, and as you said, a good idea whose time had come. You know, in our first conversation, you used the word access. It brought me back to my own roots at Mavron. And I remember that, you know, you're defined by your winners and you're defined by who's in your early portfolio. And there's a perception that if you're in winners, uh, you'll be in more winners. And so my first reaction was, on the one hand, man, that's a change of thinking and oversubscribed deals are hard to reallocate. But then on the other hand, kind of my second reaction was, you know, you're probably right. Uh, this is about access. And I haven't witnessed in my career any intentional exclusion. What ends up happening is the people that are included in your deals are the people you've worked with before and directionally the people that are closest to you. Uh, and maybe that's not your, and that network doesn't have a diversity and inclusion angle. So uh, I thought it was a good idea, although fraught with potential challenges, uh, many of which my team and I talked about on the Monday after you and I first discussed it. What was that thought process like and anything you could share, you know, from those conversations as to how you guys thought it through? Well, I mean, I think the first question becomes, will entrepreneurs agree to it? Uh, the next question is, how do we find qualified investors? What's the definition of qualified investors? And is it gender-based? Is it race-based? I mean, it there were a lot of questions that uh, were brought up and discussed. And at the end of the day, many of those questions, I think, have to be answered on a deal-by-deal -deal basis and have to be answered in the fullness of time. The reason why I like the idea from the initial um, time you mentioned it is directionally, it's just the right thing to do. And directionally, I truly believe the companies will be better off. That requires, though, a level of qualified investor, uh, which frankly takes a lot of, can sometimes take a lot of effort. There was a point there that you brought up, um, and I'm glad you brought up, which was around, you know, who is a diverse check writer or co-investor and and you know, from from what lens are we viewing it from? And but it's about the founders, right? I mean, ultimately, this is about companies that we're taking bets on, individuals that were, you know, believing that they could be the ones to execute better than somebody else. And so, when because it's early, we're, we're always thinking about well, how do we support them? How do we give them the best resources we possibly can? And and that is about constructing a diverse group of individuals who can be supportive of them, who could share those networks to them, who could be there to help them through the challenges as we talk about these really important topics that, that are much more of a discussion these days around, you know, having, you know, a diverse board and how do you have, you know, the right framework in place so that you're, you know, both identifying and interviewing 
diverse candidates and that they're interviewing diverse folks so that you're creating a comfortable environment. Those conversations are impacted greatly when we start at the beginning at the cap table, right? And in this, at this conversation where, you know, for a potentially for a, uh, a company to be led by diverse founders may not be the easiest thing in the world for them to bring up. Not, not that they don't care about it because obviously they do, but you know, there's this power dynamic that does exist between a founding team and a venture firm, whether we want to, you know, accept it or not. And so to have it come from the VCs, you know, in terms of, hey, this is something that really matters to us. This is something that's important for your company. And, and this is why, to me, was really the approach that we wanted to take. Um, and so, you know, as you as you mentioned, there were, you know, those discussions around the diverse co-investors. Um, have you guys, was that a challenge? Can I just amplify something you said? Yeah. Spencer Raskoff, who was the CEO of Zillow for quite some time, said something super interesting to me. And he said that looking back on his learnings in the arc uh, from the start to, you know, where Zillow is uh, today had they built in a more diverse culture from the start, it would be much easier than it is going back and trying to build in diversity into a business that isn't diverse. And I feel the same thing on the cap table. I think there's a lot of parallels between a diverse employee base and a diverse cap table. The other thing I would say is we hired a group of people called community partners out of Baltimore to help us navigate some of these issues uh, in June. And we had the honor of kind of seeding them as a consulting firm. And Mavron was the first firm that they worked with. And one of them said to me something which I thought was really interesting. They said, it's a little unfortunate that the world has embraced D-E-I as opposed to I-E-D. And the comment was, we should all think about this first as inclusiveness, which will then lead to equity and the output will be diversity. I thought that was just a very interesting way to think about this. As I think about cap tables, And as I think about companies and as I think about understanding their customers, inclusiveness is really an incredible benefit to any business, whether or not that's customer base, employees, cap tables, or whatever. And I think we've been really excited to kind of take that thinking and both evaluate businesses that way and talk to founders about it that way. What was the first reaction as you started to present it to the founders? How were they responding to it? The vast majority of the founders, particularly young ones, think it's great and they agree and they thank us for it. But then the discussion quickly turns to both who qualifies and how do they add value. And I think it's very important that the firms that are promoting the diversity rider actually have awareness and access to a broad array of firms that can add value to these companies 
So each company is different, each sector is different, but I think it's important that we don't ever feel we're meeting a quota or a target, but we feel like we're introducing people who, you know, represent different points of view and are going to make the company better. And uh, I've been very pleased by the reaction. In one case, it was an older person who I think uh, was a little less excited about it. But then when we started giving ideas about who we might add, I think they completely embraced it. So overall, it's been uh, a very exciting and gratifying. I mean, we, we feel that not enough venture firms lead with their values. Uh, we've got four core values. We have them pretty loud on our website. Uh, each of our term sheets has um, our values enumerated on the term sheet. And I think this is an expression of our values. If you could get a group of individuals who could be a value add to your companies, uh, let's say, because you have different, you, you focus on consumer, but there's different areas. What would be the right kind of individuals for co-investors that, let's say, if you're still building out your list of who to bring down on deals, would be the ideal kind of folks? Uh, super hard to general generalize. I mean, clearly, to fulfill this rider, we've used both angels and firms. The easiest thing to uh, focus on is a firm that meets the criteria that focuses on the particular sector we're investing in. But, uh, you know, individual angels who've added value before uh, that are diverse, um, I think are equally uh, impactful. But, you know, it's an ask of every founder in an oversubscribed deal to give space to someone they don't know. And uh, implicit in that is either the founder finds the people who fulfill the rider or we find the people. And if we find the people or firms, uh, there's implicit in the psychological contract with the entrepreneur that this is worth taking a risk on or crowding someone out a little um, because it'll be a benefit to you individually as the CEO and founder and to the company. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Do you know how many deals your firm has now have, have you done with the writer? Well, uh, technically four, we've mentioned it occasionally, but it, in seed deals, we don't really, you know, we're jumping on someone else's bus. So on series a, where we lead, uh, I do it every time. As you kind of look back now in the time that you've been using it, um, would you say that it's met or exceeded your expectations or in, in terms of the overall impact of the DNA of your firm, right? Because you were already established, you know, you were already a well-oiled machine and then you come and you do this. How do you, how do you view the overall impact, you know, to date? You know, I mean, listen, I think we've all been grappling over the last more than the last year, but specifically over the last nine months about these issues. Um, but as you said, I mean, in a certain sense, there's elements of this that were heightened 
over the summer. But these are issues that the industry should be discussing for long periods of time. I mean, we had our first female partner in 2000, and we've always had a female partner. And frankly, that was selfish. Uh, We're investing in a bunch of businesses where many times uh, women are the predominant customer. I think we all woke up uh, in a certain way over the summer and said, we got to stop talking and we got to start doing. And what are the tangible actions that we can do? And there were three or four things that Mavron as a firm did to try and say to ourselves, say to our founders and say to our future founders and say to our LPs that we're serious about this. You know, we had our first open hiring uh, process. We got over 300 uh, applications and uh, we ended up uh, hiring a woman who went to Howard and then Northwestern. Uh, We funded this consulting firm that I talked about. We had a bunch of podcasts and whatever where we brought in other people who had experienced these issues directly and had them speak to both ourselves and our team. And I think the diversity rider was another example of don't just talk the talk, but walk the talk and do the real thing. Uh, we've also kind of elected to turn our cell, turn our management company into a B Corp because we felt like that was important. So, but I think the diversity rider is a very tangible uh, thing that shows that you're serious about it. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned Cooley uh, and whatever else. Without getting too specific, we had a deal last week uh, that we proposed a term sheet to a founder. And before it was signed, we realized we had omitted the rider. And so we sent it to the CEO. And uh, his email back to me was, I couldn't agree more. I feel the same way about STEM. I looked into the history of this rider, and I'm glad Alejandro made this a priority. Really appreciate that Mavron is a part of this movement. Uh, let me know how I can sign the updated term sheet. Have a great night. You know, that's typical of, um, I think it's a win-win. And now as we go from uh, signing the term sheet to the next 30 days and closing the deal, then it becomes incumbent upon us to really, you know, find the value-added investors. Yeah. And and, and the winner there is, is that founder. I'm so happy the founder reacted like that. Um, so just got one last question here for you and, and, and thank you for the time, for the energy, for the openness to talk through these subjects. Um, you know, our hope here is that we can continue to help, you know, maybe some other firms who have learned about it, but have been on the sidelines for, you know, their own reasons. You know, everybody has to go through a process to get to a point of comfort to, you know, to, to join a movement. But I wouldn't call it a leap of faith anymore because, you know, again, we got we got 40 firms out here that are doing it. And, and I'm sure many others that are doing it that I don't know of yet. Um, but if you could leave any you know partying words to help, you know, some of your peers who are out there who may be dipping their toes in the water. You know, is there anything that you could share with them to have, you know, that, that would help them maybe cross some of those fears and, and, and join join in with us? 
Oof. Uh, where do you want me to start? Um, I'd start by saying capitalism as it's been practiced needs to be changed and refined. And um, I think uh, many business leaders uh, have looked at the reality of the bifurcation uh, in our country and justifiably are worried and justifiably are trying to ask, how can we all as a group be good actors and do the right things? And it's broader than the diversity rider, but the diversity rider in my mind is right in that. And so absolutely positively, unequivocally, I think VC firms need to think differently and they need to think broader. They need to think more inclusiveness. And it's in their self-interest, I believe, to do that. Uh, I also think that uh, many LPs are asking us, what are we doing in this world? And um, for the people that aren't going along with this, I guess my comment and suggestion to them was would be, don't take it literally, take it as a principle and embrace its direction and do the best you can on every deal. And sometimes that might, might mean a big percentage. Sometimes it might mean a small, um, but don't, don't say no to it when I think the benefits of adhering to it uh, at all and proposing it and getting it in the dialogue far outweigh, in my mind, uh, some of the potential uh, negative arguments. That's one thing I'd say. Two, uh, I think, you know, to the leadership of firms that aren't adopting it, I'd say, I think your younger people want this. Three, I'd say, I think most entrepreneurs want this. And four, I'd say, I think most LPs uh, want this and increasingly will be uh, looking at this as uh, one of the ways that they judge VC firms. So if that's not enough, <laughs> I don't know what else to say, um, but it's been a true benefit uh, for our firm. It's brought us closer together. And I look forward, since it's so new, I can't give you tangible benefits yet, but I look forward to maybe hopefully getting invited back on your podcast and sharing some of the tangible benefits that the companies um, and the co-investors have enjoyed. I, I look forward to that day for sure. And I, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you've done to, you know, to, to join the movement and promote this and especially for the words you just shared here for for your peers out there who are listening in thanks again this was dan levitan co-founder of mavron based in seattle um thank you so much thanks alejandro Thank you for listening to the diversity writers podcast please share comment and subscribe this helps us get up in the podcast rankings and in turn gets this message out to more people i would like to take a quick moment to thank the entire team that is responsible for this podcast series 
Our producers, William Broughton and Ernesto Hurtado at Rebel Talk Network, and Max Denike and myself, Alejandro Guerrero, with Act One Ventures. Original music composition is scored by Michael Rodriguez, directed by Ernesto Hurtado, and the Diversity Writers Podcast is a Rebel Talk Network production.